Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. and have a brew everybody welcome to super fan chats uh the show where we all get together uh the super fans of no small roles and talk about all the stuff that the uh fate marked five or the abrica lads have been up (laughs) to since we last checked in um i am super fan han uh one of the super fan hands and today i am joined by the lovely Superfan Alice. That was an amazing pause. That, with also I think that pause should stay. <laughs> the right amount of curiosity. Is, about, is, is that my name? You, Am I? There's no, there's no video of this, but Hannah literally gestured. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just a long pause, and I was I was sitting here like, wait, am I the lovely one? Should I go in? <laughs> you're you're both very lovely. It was just sort of like, go for it. I guess we should have decided that before as well. So yes, I am joined by Superfan Alice, and also, if you haven't guessed already, the equally it's lovely me, Ben Galpin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god ben you've changed your hair since i've seen you yeah i'm also practicing an american accent for this well uh, you have for... been there that's where you were yeah well i and i also i'm planning to move over there full time uh oh. and start a film career yeah that's the goal. amazing amazing oh, nice yeah. one. tell us how it goes keep us updated i will uh but i'm also doing a very convincing impression right now of superfan jeremy Yes, <laughs> it's so you it's can just incredible. Pretend that he's the one here. The acting skills are on point. Really amazing. Um, Hollywood is going to open its doors. That's I all I can truly say. believe. This is the case. <laughs> <laughs> so on today's episode, we are going to be discussing uh, the antics in episodes seventy-six to seventy-eight of No Small Roles. So if you haven't listened to that already, um, either go back and do that or be okay with some mega spoilers because that's all we're going to be chatting about. I'm not quite sure why you would listen to this if you didn't want those episodes <laughs> spoiled. Um, so you've been warned. 
maybe they maybe it's like critical role and they fell behind and now they feel a little overwhelmed so they're listening to our recaps and analyses in order to understand what happened in those episodes Actually, to get themselves point. current that's a good point yeah. because yeah, that's exactly nice. where i am with critical role right now i think i'm like 20 <laughs> episodes behind and i'm like this is so many hours of content how am i ever it's 80 hours <laughs> that is 80 hours i know of I'm critical like, role what if i put headphones in and just like play it while i'm asleep do you think i will absorb the storyline <laughs> you start dreaming about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just dreaming i'm one of them like, <laughs> like matt matt what do i have to do <laughs> <laughs> how do you want to do this ah! it's like you're being chased through your dreams by Matt Mercer like, how do you want to do this how do you want to do this and he just keeps making weird sound effects Yeah, <laughs> it's just like they're so convincing but so scary waking up <laughs> <laughs> you have a d20 in your lap like as you wake up to, ah! where did this come from <laughs> um, yeah Yes, that is exactly what is happening. Um, no, I'm, I was the one who was going to take the recap of episode 76 so I could right. kick us off if everyone. Do it. All right. Yeah, I'm a soccer ball. Kick me. So episode 76. Do we remember what episode 76 is called? Breakfast bouquets. <laughs> Thank you, I didn't Alice. I realized we were doing titles. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like stalling while I scroll back through my podcast feed. Mm, yes. <laughs> Breakfast bouquets, episode 76. Breakfast bouquets. Um, so returning to the Swan Inn, Gwendolyn drunkenly passes out whilst Juno caught Enkidu up with everything that had occurred since the Twain Tide Tea Tournament Festival, including the revelations about Carhilda, all while tattooing him with a sending spell. With Gaius returning from his tryst with Eustace, the party rested and spent the morning preparing for the journey ahead. Enkidu used his sending tattoo to reach out to Scarpus. Eustace bid farewell to Gaius with a bunch of flowers which turned into butterflies. And Gwendolyn and Juna used a divination spell to learn that the dangerous omens of the Carhilda name were entirely up for interpretation. They looked at the Crownswood map that Enkidu had been given, discussed the local advice and decided which paths to take. As they all readied themselves to leave, Juna quickly scried on Gwendolyn's mother, Sigrid, discovering she was in the Dravanian royal palace. The scry was interrupted by the Petra-possessed Orin hiding in the bushes of the royal palace. With some quick sendings to confirm that Petra was attempting to gather allies, seemingly including Sigrid, they all packed up and made their way out of the Swan Inn. Um, quite a fun episode, that one. Mm. Yeah, I like it when they're drunk. Mm. Stuff yeah. always seems to go down. <laughs> when you put this group with alcohol, it is uh it's always a delight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Although I feel like Juna drunk is very much like Juna sober. Yes. Yeah. Similar vibe every time. Yeah, I, I get the sense that Juna's one of those people that's quite good at holding her drink and you can't tell until she's like so unbelievably hammered that it's impossible <laughs> mm -hmm. to hide any of it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think Juna's a tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The wrinkles give her more endurance. She just stores all the alcohol in the wrinkles. <laughs> kind of soaks it all up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the end, she's completely smooth skinned. <laughs> That's how you know she's really drunk, is when all the wrinkles have been smoothed out and she's five feet tall. <laughs> Um, uh, I found, I wanted to say, I find uh, the continued information about the Cahilda oh my name to be a very interesting, like, that is a fascinating plot line. And it's mm. yet another plot line that I'm like, man, 
this could be this could be like a whole 20 30 episode arc it you know what i mean it feels yeah. like to like go and like we have to go and confront all of the orcs and get to the bottom of the like that's what that feels like to me uh it's there's so many of the there's so many like storylines for each character that feel like they could have long arcs unto themselves yeah. um yeah. Another thing, I until I saw it written down, I had no idea because of the non-rhotic nature of the English <laughs> accent that Cahilda is actually Carhilder. Yes. yes. I actually needed to see it written down to figure out how it was spelled because that is not how it was spelled in my mind. Because <laughs> you don't hear the R's. No. It's, <laughs> no. There, well, yeah. I definitely didn't hear the R on the end. That That was unexpected. Yeah, uh, that was really interesting. I think I had this idea that it was spelled more like in a sort of like romance language kind of way rather than this mm-hmm. very like like mm-hmm. almost um Nordic. Yeah, like Nordic like or kind sort of. of Russian kind of like quite hard stops in the way it looks. Um mm. but fascinating. I so this was sort of wrapping up a little bit of the information from the previous episode, obviously, which was like when Gwendolyn was drunk and the whole interacting with the Orkosh, the people from Orkosh and the the whole Carhilda finding out that it does produce a very strong reaction. And I did feel a little bit vindicated because I feel like I said a while ago, she doesn't know what this name means. So her using it everywhere could be a little dangerous. Um, so I, I, I felt a little bit smug on that one. <laughs> I think I you're like, right. I, I, I seem to remember you saying that as well. Yeah, you're right on the money. <laughs> but just, I mean, well, cause I was also like, she keeps telling everyone she's Gwendolyn Rose as well. And there are people after her. So I think I, uh, my sense of maybe it's just, I'm very paranoid and I have a very heightened sense of danger. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that, uh, but that whole revelation, I agree about, um, Carhilda and what it means but also the fact that it's it it's a name with like an omen attached to it but an omen that is very subjective in its interpretation and could almost be like swayed by people's actions as well as fate was such a fascinating concept yeah no I think it's uh really exciting um I, I'm not getting away quickly from the fact that I think it basically means she's a vampire slayer and you know it i just think it's such a cool thing just the idea that it's sort of a destiny thing and it could be bad and it could be good it just i'm not i'm not going to stop tooting this horn um mm-hmm. cuz there's something so exciting about the idea that there have been past carhilders and there could be stories about that you know there could be a, an entire arc about the first carhilder or something i just want to know all the stories i'm looking forward to them finding out these folk tales who knows yeah. where they'll get them like from? Like a mini series? Yes. Like a whole mini, a whole Carhilder mini series. Uh, so good. Yes. Yeah. Who would you want to be in that? Would you want the main cast to be in it, or Ooh. would you want like guests to come and do it, and then the main cast have to listen to the episode? To find <laughs> out? Oh, it would that would be, be amazing. Fun. Because would it? Because it could it be like? Would it be like a one shot about the like the jet like one of the earlier Carhilders and like the creation of a folktale about a Carhilder? that they then encounter as they gather more information in the main campaign, in which case it would probably have to be like quite guest heavy in many ways. Um, or would it be like a quest to find out more about Carhilders and therefore the main cast could probably do like 
a bit more of like a side one shot type thing. Mm. I like the idea of doing a special thing where the main cast keep finding evidence of stuff that contradicts itself. And each time they read like a different story or a different piece of evidence, that little section is like a, like a 10 minute vignette that's played out by guests. <gasps> uh, so amazing. David is telling them the story in the moment. And then they sort of edit in his narration over like a couple of the scenes and stuff like that. I think that could be pretty I love cool. that. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. Like little, like, like taking other games and using them as flashbacks in the main campaign that would be yeah so basically what you're saying jeremy is both <laughs> yes exactly Com ¿Por qué no los dos? Uh, let's combine them i love it i love it why not indeed <laughs> bonus points for yeah. the idea of vignettes and the word vignette which i i really like so yeah it's such a good idea thank you um also i wanted to throw out could there could we Okay. Cast it with super fans. <laughs> oh, yeah! Draft the super fans in to be the be the flashback people. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to say one other thing is the spelling of Carhilder makes a lot more sense of the way they were pronouncing it on the show because they've been hitting the ka way harder than I would have expected. Because I think uh. similar to you, Hannah, I was imagining C A H I L D A. That like Cahilda. Yeah. That's that would be pronounced oh. Cahilda. It wouldn't be pronounced Cahilda. It would be Cahilda. Yeah. And so every time they'd hit the Cahilda, I was like, this is an odd way of pronouncing that. Yeah. And now I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's because it's not Ka, it's Car. Yeah. It's Car it's Carhilder. Yeah. And I really yeah. expected it to have like an E on the end. Like Hild even Hilda spelt like instead of with an A on the end, with like an E on the end, like a very kind of, you know, French Germanic kind of uh quite Quite lovely, mm -hmm. soft. Nope. <laughs> yeah, not even an ER, just an R. Yeah, which is really interesting because of it. I feel like um, David's doing an amazing job of giving a real flavor of all the different cultures in such different ways, like right the way down to the way their languages and their names would be spelled. And that is like another way that I feel like his storytelling is so rich. Mm. Mm hmm. That is like an Orkoshian, or would it be Orkoshian? I think Orkoshian name or Orkoshian yeah, name? Some, something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And it just gives you this sense of like the way they speak in Orkosh. It gives you a sense of like what their culture might be like um, just through a name, which is so interesting. Yeah. And yeah, so clever. <laughs> they had like the Orkosh or the Orkoshian woman who was in the shattered runes talking and she sounded a bit kind of russian-y when she was talking oh so yeah that makes sense that yeah would make sense then. yeah i get the sense that it does have sort of influences from like kind of russia eastern europe sort of like slavic yeah. stuff yeah yeah sort of slavic or balkan or you know mm -hmm. there's there's something yeah. about it that seems really interesting in that way i would love for them to go to orkosh oh my gosh that would be so fun Orkosh. There was, okay, so there was, this is off topic, but what you just re said reminded me. There was a store when I was a little kid, I think it was a kid's clothing store called Oshkosh Bagosh. Yep. And yeah, and you <laughs> saying that, I'm that. like, Orkosh Bagosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or because you were like, Orkosh, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, that would be like the name of the mini campaign. <laughs> Orkosh oh, Bagosh. Yes. <laughs>
<laughs> I uh, there can we can I make a formal request that there is a line of clothing stores in Orkosh called Orsh, Orkosh Bagosh yeah, uh, for orc children. David, please honor this request. <laughs> yeah, they have like little tusk warmers that like you could put on your child. Uh, so because they you know they're still learning how to use their tusks. Oh you don't want them to be crunching on everyone <laughs> and everything because that can cause serious injury. So you put like little mittens on <laughs> to sort of blunt their ability to bite. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. I yeah. love it. Uh, the little, little fantasy fantasy dungarees. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing about episode 76, uh, to, to slightly bring it back <laughs> to where we started maybe, um, was just the adorable interactions between Gaius and Eustace. Yeah. I was just about to mention that. <laughs> oh, my God. I loved that so much. It was, they they were both so kind and sweet to each other, even though it was very clear neither of them wanted more than like a one night stand. It was a bit like, if you're ever in town again. But it just seemed so like very tender and respectful. It was just really lovely. Yeah, it was very yeah. sweet. I was surprised by how coy Eustace was in the morning. Like, I guess because he's sort of a bit older, I just kind of assumed he'd be cooler than that. But no, he was just really like embarrassed and had clearly had a lovely time. It was very sweet. Yeah, I I kind of shipped. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of hope we we gotta. I feel like uh, I want I want these people to all be in relationships, but <laughs> 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 uh, or or unless they don't want to, but still like. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it would be nice for guys to have like a boyfriend that he could uh be messaging back and forth with as he travels around. I think it'd be really cute. Yeah, yeah it would be lovely. It would be lovely. I, I feel like if he had a relationship it would be extraordinarily open. But yes, it would be nice if he had like one guy that he went back to. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of his his primary, I guess, I think is the term. Yeah. 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 Deciding uh Deciding Gaius is polycule already. <laughs> <laughs> who else would we add? <laughs> who else? Who else is joining this party? So. <laughs> what other what other NPCs or PCs would we add to this to this polycule? I don't think I don't think Enkidu is going that way. Like I just I just don't get that oh, vibe no. between the two of them. No, but you know what? The Gwen Kidu fodder they have been putting into these episodes <gasps> is making me like, when is this going to happen? Because it's inevitable. <laughs> But also, him. There's still some dwindling, as we'll see in the next yes. episode. There's still some dwindling going. Well, on. you, yes, that's true. But but Gwen, um, Enkidu like slipping over as he's trying to look cool about Gwen kissing a lot of people was incredibly awkward <laughs> and the stuff of all rom rom coms. It was great. My heart, my heart. <laughs> he really is a Mister Darcy type, isn't he? Yes, unbelievably like, very... silent and repressed. <laughs> Yeah, and very like <laughs> stiff and like weirdly judgmental, but also once you get past it, not at all. Yeah, like <laughs> he just has a yeah. strong ethical system and sometimes rushes to snap judgments. Yeah, and like <laughs> super formal and concerned with etiquette, and then also wildly impulsive at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mister Enki Darcy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who would Gwendolyn be? What would would she? I'm trying to think of Gwen Elizabeth. I don't know if it fits. Yeah, I mean, she. I mean, well, Grace has said that she's based her off sort of Austin type 
heroines, I think, before, which makes a lot of sense, you know, with the way of decorum and stuff. So uh, if we're finding uh, Gwendolyn's Mr. Darcy to her Lizzie Bennet, uh, why not? Although I'd say she's more like Marianne from Sense and Sensibility, maybe, or Catherine Morland from Northanger Abbey, potentially, just because she she doesn't have uh Lizzie's solid solidity she there's something very like i am young and passionate about gwen mm. alice i'm going to level very with true. you i have strayed into literary territory i am not that familiar with <laughs> i don't know very much jane austen uh so i'm going to take your word for that as someone who has probably read way more than i have <laughs> I haven't read the other books, but I have read uh, Pride and Prejudice, and I do understand what you're saying about the differences between uh, Lizzie and Gwendolyn. That, yeah, Lizzie yeah. seems very sure of herself a lot of the time, and is very like, I am, she's self-assured, and Gwendolyn is much yes. more like, I'm new to all of this, just experimenting, <laughs> having fun, learning about the world and me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, she is sweet when she does that, though, especially when she's like, I'm going to get drunk. <laughs> i'm going to dance and kiss lots of people yeah i wasn't sure about like guy's idea of being supportive was just like complimenting her on her kissing ability i can't think of anything that would make me more embarrassed than someone going oh yeah you were doing a great job well done <laughs> oh the cringe excellent kisser top notch i know <laughs> no, I, suppose no cruel. <laughs> I suppose she is like the that sort of early 20s you know like uni student age where people do kind of go out and experiment and end up you know seeing the world after a life of you know maybe a bit more um like a bit more sheltered yeah yeah being a bit more sheltered and it's nice to see her you know it, it did make me think of like going to the student union and having to dance <laughs> with all the people and like making out with the do you know what i mean like that yeah. seemed like a very early 20s experience mm -hmm. that was quite recognizable yeah i agree yeah. i wanted to throw out there um i i what how many glimpses of this now that we, uh how many glimpses rather have we had of gwendolyn's mother not many because like her mother has been sort of absent from the narrative right mm. yeah uh like her she has you know we've there's all this mystery her mom gave her that name there's all this stuff her mom's off doing other stuff uh we've seen her dad we've seen her sister you know we've seen sort of her mentor but it's very uh like Sigrid has been very absentee from yeah. Gwendolyn and from the narrative like there's been lots of mentions of her but how, how many times have we seen her is this I, is this the first time I think this is I the first is time one. I can't remember another time where we saw her like in a significant way and in this episode we didn't just see her we saw orin interacting with her or petra as orin controlling orin mm -hmm. interacting with her which is was so wild <laughs> at the end <laughs> of the episode that was a, a an episode ending where i was like what <laughs> what is this yeah what's going on i have to listen to the next one immediately that is so yeah i'm right there with you that is like what also having this is slight spoiler for episode i think 80 yeah uh 
I may or may not have recorded a little thing with Oren that takes place towards the end of this period in his life, and I had no context for what he had been up to. <laughs> so I, I, me finding out, like, wait, you were talking to Gwen's mom? <laughs> what? Yes. That's wild. Of course, because when, again, alluding to the future episodes without spoiling too much or um, getting into it too much, yeah, because when... Dwayne meets Orin, and I suppose it's just an Orkosh woman who's there. There's no context yeah. for who that is. And I don't even know if Orin would have much context for who that is. Because would he know Gwendolyn's mum's name, like directly? Nope. Or would he know? No, because no, they talked about it in this one, and no one else knew it apart from Juna and Gwen. So yeah. there's no reason why Orin would know it. So he's had an interaction with Gwen's mum without actually knowing that's what he did. Yeah. Doesn't she look like Gwendolyn, though? Like, you gotta think, right? There's gotta be some sort of a resemblance. Well, well, but Although I guess mom... she's like full orc and Gwen is half orc. So that's say, quite is... a different... I mean, how strong would the resemblance be? Maybe she looks more like her dad. I don't know. No. It's true. She could actually take after her dad and her features. I don't know. Like, did... Because... Yeah, I'm just thinking like, okay, how many orcs have like grayish skin? Uh, I imagine the, her mom is more jacked than Gwendolyn is. Like <laughs> yeah. just generally bulkier, probably a little taller. Yeah. Maybe and her she tusks has are longer. Yeah. White hair instead of green hair. So that's confusing. Um, yeah. That's true. That's, that's it true. would be hard to know. I can't wait to see how, how or whether it all gets put together. Um, yeah. Making the connections. Just... Yeah, just it. It's set. It's the thing that David does so well about setting up these massive revelations in ways that will lead to even more massive revelations down the line, where they like build on yeah. each other, but you don't actually know when they're going to connect with something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like Critical Role, except uh, every every episode is in four hours. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which sometimes I'm like, why isn't there more of this? Then other times I'm like, oh, thank God, I can catch up. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's super fan chats to help you catch up yeah. if you if you're if you feel overwhelmed to listen to the exactly. actual episodes. But you should go listen to the episodes on your own time when you have the chance. Absolutely, these, this stretch of episodes is delightful. It's so yes. good. It's so so good. Um, also and, mildly traumatizing, but that comes later. Yes, yes, and before, <laughs> that's not until like the end of episode seventy-seven. Yeah, and then into seventy-eight. Well, before we move on to episode seventy-seven, can I also just flag the whole Enkidu messaging Scarpus? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Neither of them could do word counts. It was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved them both getting cut off halfway through a sentence. It's just, yeah. yeah. That I, that was very, just another, again, another one of those moments that it just gives you such an insight into how rich each individual character's story is within this world and how much, just how much there is. Yeah. I want to find out so much more about all of it. Mm. yeah yeah it's a real testament to the to the to the players and to david uh for creating a very lush world and very lived in characters who develop as well very believably and continue to form more and more connections yeah yeah, yeah absolutely where where is scarpus did we know did that? they say i uh, know i was just wondering I don't no, think so. no i think sure. he just i think he i don't know because he just used the sending yeah, yeah yeah i i didn't have a clear sense yeah. And I don't think he said. I just wondered if we could see them because she's got to be a good repository for stories as much as anything. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, episode 77. I was going to say, should, uh, we chat, should we chat about the next bit while we all ponder? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's continue pondering as I give a brief summary of episode 77. Uh, episode 77, because we're doing episode titles now, uh, is called The Crown's Wood. That's right. The Crown's Wood. Uh, this is kind of another light and happy, for the most part, episode, or just sort of fun and, and interesting, like, oh, we're... We're goofing until the end. Uh, so, <laughs> heading into the Crown's Wood on the backs of their new horses, Clanius. Is it Clanius? Clanius? Clanius. I think it's Clanius. Clen- Isn't it Clanius? Uh, I think it should be Clanius. Oh, man. Because the, the way, look, once again, I see the spelling, and I don't think I-U-S should be pronounced Aeus. I think it should be pronounced Eus. And that you, and because of the E-I, I feel like it should be Clanius. <laughs> yeah. Or Clanius. Uh. I'm just saying. Come at me. <laughs> Come at me, cat. It's a fantasy uh, world. We can say what we want. <laughs> yeah. Rouge, Starlight, and Tubes. tubes. Oh my god. Uh, the maybe I mispronounced those tubes. tubes. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting your recap. No, absolutely. Um, and the party mused on the, their experiences with nature. Growing up, discussed the ethics of eating rabbits. There was a little bit of hunting that took place, including a full-on critical hit <laughs> on a rabbit. Uh, so it died very quickly, um, and presumably painlessly. With concern from Gwendolyn, Juna contacted Farazine and found that she and Myra were near to Pryden, with only a little trouble uh, caused along the way. After a failed attempt to scry on the dwarven member of the Children of Havoc, Judah is scry happy, by the way, just throwing that out there. She is, she is unbound and is scrying on everyone. Uh, Juna looked in on Dwayne. Hey! <laughs> yeah, to find him lingering pensively on a balcony somewhere in Ayland. And then, uh, we had a little sending conversation, uh, with a little Dwayne cameo. Um, I think I think Juna said, "Don't drink the milk." Yeah, uh, which is, uh, is I forgot I'd even said that ever, <laughs> uh, until they, they sent me that. I was like, "Ah, good times." Uh, so there was a little sending teasing, and on the second night in the woods, there was a host of small, like tiny lights that appeared on the side of the road. And Kidu and Gaius were charmed immediately and drawn closer to them. Uh, and they were trying, the party tried to pull each other away from the lights, hold each other back, but they were caught in a sticky trap and swarmed by skittering insects. Uh, they were fighting off the biting bugs, and they did manage to escape the swarm, itchy but alive. But as the day continued, so did the itching for Gwendolyn and Gaius, whose bug bites were now eerily glowing. And that's when it got real gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fight wasn't wasn't good for me. I didn't I didn't enjoy feeling oh, the, itchy the for a good for half hour. Like however long the fight took, uh, the whole thing was like, oh god, they're on me. Sorry. It was yeah, it was kind of that's that was not. pretty yucky on a sensory perspective. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I I like I, I like it when stories make me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, have a swarm of weird parasitic fireflies. <laughs> it's a great idea. I'm on. I'm so on board with this. I feel alive. I'm feeling something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Harder. Uh, make it worse. Uh. Yeah, that was. I've had similar uh, combats that I've run in, in some of my home games, uh, and my goal is always to have everyone either feel alive or have them audibly gag. <laughs> the, that's the goal. Uh, 
And yeah, this was this was suitably gross. Thank you, David. It was very effective in its aims of grossness and yes. creepiness. Um, so it was a very, very visceral feeling that I got listening to it as well, which I don't know if I enjoyed as much as you did, Jeremy, but I definitely appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Alice is like, nope. <laughs> Hard nope. <laughs> I, I had to listen to it all on double time uh, when I was re-listening to it just so I could get through it. Mm. that's fair yeah that's fair yeah. but was, there was some fun I like the bits fact that they the were fight. fireflies yes that was cool oh sorry no, no there was some fun bits in it like a uh, guy pulling him and juna through the dimension door and falling out onto the road was like a really cool image that was really fun mm-hmm. and like the idea of fighting something that's on people so you have to be really careful is really inventive it just means that they have to think really carefully about what they're using otherwise they might hit each other which i think happened mm. yeah it's not just yeah. another combat it's yeah. like they have to start being really creative with what they're doing and their actions could have even more severe consequences uh than like i don't know accidentally making elemental stronger <laughs> who would do that by attacking it with its very <laughs> same element and also the horse dies oh, oh. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I loved the little Dwayne cameo. It was so nice. It was so nice yeah. to have your voice in it as well, Jeremy, rather than it being like um, David doing an impression of Dwayne. It was so nice to actually have <laughs> the audio in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, every time they hit me up and they're like, hey, could you record like a tiny little thing for Dwayne? I'm always like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's so fun and it's usually like little voice snippets it's usually like record like a a one to two minute little thing and i'm always like oh boy (laughs) i can't wait to see where this shows up (laughs) it's so cute it's so cute and it's so funny as well because like that's so much like Dwayne getting these little sendings just out of the blue like he doesn't have any context respond Imagine Dwayne doing this in the middle of like the continuing adventures. Like he's in the middle of like these really emotional moments and then suddenly getting like, hey, Dwayne, don't drink the milk. <laughs> he's like trying to pour out his heart. Like my my dead husband or not husband, but boyfriend, all this stuff. Yeah, I do wonder about that with their sendings and also the scrying. Like you said, Juna is going, she is so nosy. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to scry on everyone. I'm going to detect all their thoughts. I'm going to dig around in their brains and look at what they're doing. She is becoming a bit of a peeping Tom. She's always been like this. Mm. Come on. It's not a new thing. Yeah, but now it's got worse because she's yeah, got becoming more power is not, to do She's more always been a peeping <laughs> She's just got more abilities to really indulge that side of her to be so nosy. <laughs> I wonder, is there anything that... You know what? I think Dwayne may have to like learn non-detection like, <laughs> at some point he may need to learn the non-detection spell just to avoid juna from just to avoid juna scrying on him yeah or find some kind of magic item that like prevents you from being discovered in any way or scried mm-hmm. on in any way because yeah because otherwise she's gonna drop in at a really inopportune moment yeah. and like you're on the toilet <laughs> And just like reading a book, yeah, <laughs> reading a it's scroll you get on the toilet. <laughs> you get ascending, like, uh, like, uh, so I, you. That's like the third time you've been reading that book. <laughs> like, you've been stuck on that page. Never for, gonna finish like, three it. months now. Just give it up. 
Go, go read. I think you're just not a reader. Just give it up. If you're just like. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Juno either. No. I'm I'm surprised that she didn't scry on uh, Guy and Eustace just to, you know, just for a cheap thrill. <laughs> like, there's part of me it's that's wild. like, no, she wouldn't cross that line. And then there's another part of me that's like, she <laughs> She might. She might. She might. Her boundaries, you know, is she for the light, the dark, or the balance, or just the really, really <laughs> curious? This could be an indication of the balance, where, like, the because scrying is not an inherently bad thing, neither is detect thoughts. They are sort of violating somebody's privacy, but sometimes that's necessary if you're like, oh, for example, you're like, wait, what about Gwendolyn's long-lost mother? Can we find out, like, what happened to her? Or if you're genuinely worried about somebody, uh, or if, like, okay, in the case of Dwayne, she saw Dwayne as potentially a threat to Gwendolyn in some way. Like, he he had broken her heart, you know, he mistreated her and was this super slick dude, so she didn't trust him. So it's understandable that she would then read his mind to try and, like, because that's her version, I guess, of doing a background check. Yeah. <laughs> she tries to check his thoughts. Yeah. Uh just really like, you know, trying to see what his intentions are. And, you know, she usually does it in the service of like protecting someone else or trying to set up more protection for her loved ones or see how they're doing or, yeah, like check in on them, you know, in quite a nurturing kind of way. And mm. it's beginning to slightly edge out of that territory, <laughs> I feel. Well, it's nice to mm. see her kind of being a, a lot more relaxed with Dwayne. Instead of, you know, shouting at him. So that's that's nice. Yeah. Definitely nicer for Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although even still, his main memory of Judah is she yelled at him a bunch and then she me randomly messages him sometimes. Yeah. So that's like every time he gets a message, he's sort of like, ah, okay. Uh, well, hey. Uh, hello. Please don't yell at me again. <laughs> and I should also say, in Judah's defense, this was Gwendolyn's idea. I think Gwendolyn requested that Juna scry on Dwayne, which is what I'm saying. The Dwayne the Dwayndolin Fabulosa, uh, those those the ship continues to sail. It does. It really does. It's and... difficult to say, but it's easy to ship. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayndolin Fabulosa. There we go. We got there. Oh, we've got Gwenkido. We've got Dwayndolin. It's like. Which way is it going to go? Is there going to be a gentlemanly duel? Oh, <laughs> it could go both ways. Yeah, it's it true. It's true. It could just be that both of them are like, yeah, it's, I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Gwendolyn and Dwayne would be down with that. I'm not sure about Enkidu. I'm not quite sure where he would stand on that one. <laughs> he's already again, got a lot of people in his head. No, oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> If someone dates oh, Enkidu, true. is that automatically a polycule? Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, at the very least, there's a lot of other people just hanging out. Yeah. Like every single date. <laughs> it's just it like, like, what, six other people? Just like, <laughs> one of them might like chilling you. there. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, one of them like takes over and is like, hey, I just want to let you know, we really do not appreciate the way that you were treating Enkidu. <laughs> and I would like to know, what are your intentions? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, which one would that be? Uh, I wonder if it would be someone like Hina. Yeah. Being like, um, excuse me, I'd just like to know a bit more about what you're planning with my uh, good friend Enkidu. Yeah. 
<laughs> my on? good friend and body. <laughs> <laughs> my host. What are your intentions? <laughs> That would be hilarious. I love the idea of of Enkidu meeting with all of his all of his friends inside of his head and having like them be like, "Look, I don't like him." <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. I don't like him. Or like giving him like a a rundown of how he did on a date. Like, oh man, you really fumbled that one. Oh, brutal! <laughs> it was going so well. <laughs> you didn't see how much he was trying to touch your arm. What's going on? <laughs> Should have gone for the kiss on the cheek, bro. Should have gone for the kiss on the cheek. It was too early for the lips. Now it's weird. When someone says, would you like to come in for coffee? That means they want you to come in for coffee so you can hang out with them. (laughs) (laughs) Nod. Uh, also, like, I, I imagine if he actually gets into a relationship, as soon as he goes in, they're all like, Abraka, lads, 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 like, just surrounding him. It's like, yeah, way to go! Uh, but also, that would just be so weird. Maybe that's why. I, I'd have to ask Daryl if Enkidu feels reluctant to get into a relationship because there's so many other people always present for it. Yeah. Because that's gotta be weird. Yeah, yeah, that would make it really strange just to know that all these people would, like, have an awareness of, of what you're doing. Like, non no privacy non-existent and yeah, also now like with the eridus situation too oh that's, that's true a whole other thing. Just, <laughs> how much does she know how much is being recorded <laughs> probably everything uh, i'm now imagining <laughs> oh, like what are you thinking like what are you thinking about <laughs> i'm sorry that information is reserved for high ranking family members. <laughs> i mean that would be a really really great way to get out of that conversation wouldn't it <laughs> uh, and possibly the relationship as well yeah. <laughs> but yeah i agree i think i think Dwayne would probably want like a, a romantic courtship uh, initially like a one-on-one situation where it's like a romantic courtship and then once it's like oh we're in a relationship then it's like oh yeah no go, go have fun yeah like let's let's communicate openly i guess but like let's <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm cool with it i mean he's he's also a dragon so he's lived a long time so i can imagine wanting to experiment with more than monogamy might be interesting you, you got a you yeah. got a lot of years to see what different types of relationships are like you know, I can't, can't it's imagine, true. you know, that might change your perspective on things slightly. <laughs> yeah. What happens if he meets like some really, some really hot dragon uh, that he's into and he's like, yo, uh, but the dragon can't yet turn into like a humanoid form. So he's like, I have this dragon relationship over here <laughs> uh, and then I have my humanoid relationship over here and uh, it's great. <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying this discussion of like the the logistics of fantasy dating. Like, like how would it work? How would it work? If you're a dragon you or know, if you've got multiple people inside your head, how does this work? Yeah. And, you know, bringing it back to the episode, fantasy dating, isn't that just what the swarm was doing? No. They need to reproduce one way or another. That's how it goes. This is how they do it. It's a fantasy date. The party did. There was romantic. There was romantic lighting. Uh, there was charm. There was setting yeah, the mood. They really brought the charm. <laughs> there was drawing them in. <laughs> there was penetration. Oh, God, <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, and then there was the the next day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the morning after. The morning yeah. after. Yeah. <laughs> The walk of shame, yeah. the entire party doing the walk of shame. Man, if your walk of woods. shame is itchy, that is not always a good sign. 
See, there you go. <laughs> Itching is always a bad sign after a date like that. Uh, should we move on to episode 78? Yeah, uh, Alice. I did okay. say I would happily talk about this episode because cool. it seems like you've... <laughs> it's cool. We're nearly there. I wish you could all see Alice's face right now. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it hurts. <laughs> yeah, it's half smile, half cringe. Um, okay, so 78. Unhealthy glow. So, with Gwendolyn and Gaius incubating glowing insect eggs, uh, the party pushed forward to reach Woodstock, hoping for healing help. However, on reaching the tavern there, the innkeeper Wib, which is an amazing name, one of my top 10 names actually, Wib, uh, turned them away, worried <laughs> that the eggs would hatch and infest his pub. He sent them on to find the Grove Mother, telling them to look out for fox statues along the road. As they set out following the northward path, Juna focused on purifying some holy water to help fight the infection. Resting for lunch, Gaius polymorphed Enkidu into a hawk to scout ahead for the fox statues, whilst Juna began the ritual to turn Ruana into a hawk as well. Flying over the canopy, Enkidu spotted the statues easily before slowly circling back toward the rest of the party. As the others waited, another hawk landed nearby, and thinking it was Enkidu, Gaius ended his spell, stranding his friend somewhere in the forest. This hawk revealed itself to be the Grove Mother, who opened a pathway to her sacred grove for the whole party, reuniting them all. Turning her intention to the infections, Grove Mother Vanala... Vanala? Hetheldan? Vanala? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah used Juna's holy water to burn out the bug eggs from Gaius's leg before settling down to purify more holy water for Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn prepared herself for approaching the by approaching the effigy of the Wilder Queen in the centre of the grove and with a comforting smile from the carving and the smoke from a bundle of burning twigs, she fell asleep. So this episode started badly for me. Um, uh, let's Let's gloss over what happens because it's horrific. Mm. I I like the fact that that everyone was just in the background going making vomiting noises and going ew 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 because that's how it felt listening it was disgusting and I hated it mm. <laughs> see I didn't actually mind it <laughs> I find I'm not going to talk in detail about it to spare you <laughs> oh god um but I think what was so um compelling about it is like. Sometimes I feel like in D&D or other RPGs, you have a fight, stuff happens, and then you have a long rest, and you're all fine again. And it's like, it's almost like it didn't happen. Like, <laughs> the injuries just didn't happen, even if they were, like, life-threatening. Mm -hmm. And actually having something that happened that has a consequence that needs to be dealt with from a fight is quite nice <laughs> to kind of have i mean not nice in terms of what it actually was but it's it just adds again like a really different dynamic that actually if you have a fight you can't just have a long rest and everyone's going to be okay mm. that it's going to be a bit more complicated than that and maybe you need to think about defending yourself a bit better or being a bit more um creative or tactical about what you do in fights going forward or the information that you you know the the investigation that you try and do yeah so i think mm. yeah that's a cool way of looking at yeah, it I yeah i agree and i do think they didn't go as graphic as they could like you know what i mean they didn't go overboard yeah. <laughs> uh there there are definitely like real life parasites that are like parasitic insects and so forth that are 
more grotesque than what was being described. Yeah. So, you know, I like that they still use some restraint (laughs) in terms – like, I would have been fine with it, but I also understand that I am not most people. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) I think it's good that they used some restraint because parasites in general are a massive ick, I think, for the vast majority of humans. Oh, my God. Uh, Just awful. Parasites are no joke. So mm-hmm. they they did very well in the way that they handled it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Darwin said that uh, he was quite um, religious, but he said that the only thing that made him not believe in God was parasitic wasps. And I think that's a good point because yeah. those guys are horrible. I may be incorrect about this, but I think I am correct that there are more species. Uh, there's like I forget. There's like more species of parasitic wasp. Then there are like species of anything oh else. Oh my god! But I could be wrong about that. Really? I'm gonna check this. I'm gonna check that. Uh, I'm gonna check that fact. <laughs> uh, but like a lot of parasitic wasps uh, are like highly specialized to prey on specific sp- uh, specific yeah. creatures. Like they, yeah. So like for example, in America we have the tarantula hawk wasp, which specifically uh, hunts tarantulas. Uh, it is a wasp that is like that has d- evolved to hunt giant spiders. Uh, wild, <laughs> uh, and it pretty much always wins that matchup too. I mean, that um, is just like the the title of a horror movie. So there's a giant yeah. wasp, and it hunts giant spiders. This is the concept. <laughs> yeah. This is the pitch. <laughs> and the wasp isn't even that big. Like it's not tiny, but it's bigger than you'd like. Like it's bigger than anyone would prefer, but it's not that big. Uh, it's ugh. anyway. Um, what I was going to mention is, from a mechanical standpoint, uh, there is a precedent for parasites in Dungeons and Dragons, specifically rot grubs. Uh, there are various ways to encounter rot grubs. Uh, I know the Cobalt Inventor is a monster that can throw pots of them, like jars of rot grubs at oh people. My God. But th- you can also just encounter a swarm of rot grubs and essentially it is similar to other swarms of creatures it can occupy the same space as an enemy uh and can move through any opening large enough for a single individual member uh of the swarm and the way that this works is if it, it attacks you it attacks a creature in the swarm space uh they take 2d6 piercing damage if they hit, and the target must succeed on a DC 10 constitution saving throw or be poisoned. Uh, and then at the end of the tar- each of the targets, uh, the poisoned target's turns, it takes 1d6 poison damage. Uh, now, whenever the poisoned target takes fire damage, they can repeat the saving throw ending the effect on a success. But if it ends its tar- it's, if it ends its turn with zero hit points, it dies. Oh my gosh. It's- so it's yeah it's not bad yeah it's definitely it's interesting that the mechanic for that is like poison because mm-hmm. it makes sense but it doesn't quite capture i think what david managed to do <laughs> yeah well they had quite a hefty uh whack didn't they they were sort of taking like 10 point 10 hp every turn or something uh, like yeah, it, whatever it was it was bad it was huge like, yeah, if you is. had a bug on you, that bug would be 10 hit points, like, every turn. Yeah. Mm. It was, yeah, they were really serious. Yeah. I think it was, like, maybe it's, well, maybe it's that, uh, similar to parasitic wasps, they were sort of evolved to hunt humanoids. Yeah. And so, because certain kinds of venom 
are going to be, I know certainly certain kinds of poison are more effective against certain kinds of animals. Like, for example, there are fruits that humans can eat that other animals can't. Yes. Because they're poisonous to them, but the poison doesn't affect mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, I think with venom, it's a little bit different, but I think there are still, like, if the venom is specialized to target humano- humanoid, whether it's like nerve systems or whatever, you know, whatever kind of venom it is, um, then it makes sense then that it would be like similar to, for example, the tarantula hawk wasp. There's a video of sort of like the successor to the to the crocodile hunter. This guy, Coyote Peterson, <laughs> he's very popular on YouTube. He also had like a uh, name. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he's a really nice like he's a really nice wholesome dude, but he's he's sort of like a wildlife educator who goes out into the wilderness with his cowboy hat uh and awesome. shows different animals. Awesome. Yeah, and he had his his most popular series was him going around the world and getting stung by all of the top 5 insects on the Schmidt pain index. What? The Schmidt sting pain index. <laughs> uh and one of those was the tarantula hawk and he is, he is like screaming in pain. Uh, the video is also very funny because his cameraman is always like, you okay? Are you okay? As he's like, ah! Ah! like on the ground. Is that the one where it's, it's so painful, all you can do is lie on the floor and scream? Like there's literally like, it just takes out your capacity to do any rational thinking. It's just lie on the floor and scream. Um, no. I don't think like, there. I don't think even for the worst one, which he would say is the executioner wasp, which wasn't even on the list. Why do they have such uh, horrible but names? But he got stung by the execution. Yeah, the executioner wasp. <laughs> what a name! Uh, but he even for that one, he was still able to like grab the little cup, the little glass cup that they put the insect in, and put it back on top of the bug to like to try and preserve it so it doesn't get hurt or get away. Wow. Yeah. And then he collapses to the ground with. Ah! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but even with that, like if a, if that if that wasp stings a tarantula, the tarantula is paralyzed. Yeah, it just can't move. It's done. The the tarantula is finished. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but with a human, it just hurts really bad. <laughs> yeah. So it could be that like this is specifically designed to harm humanoids, especially like whatever they're doing to humanoids is they're maybe they're secreting something or injecting something that is so much worse for humanoids that'll take you out really quickly. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I'd love to talk were, to David about they this. were pretty. They were pretty big, bad, horrible <laughs> bugs. Yeah, they were bad. That was a that was a tough fight. Like it was really tough, and the fallout from it is just yeah, quite quite dramatic. They turn up to um, a town, and they're not allowed to enter buildings. Like it's it's really serious. Yeah, real like plague, fear of plague kind yeah. of situation. Um, mm. I do, <laughs> I do love the moment where um, they're all sitting around and Enkidu's off as a hawk, and then another hawk appears, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, it's Enkidu! I'll just end the spell." And I just have the the image of Enkidu suddenly turning back into Enkidu in the middle of the sky. <laughs> 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 exactly, exactly. I just did laugh tumbling a lot. out of the air. <laughs> oh, what a moment! Oh, Hans Gruber. What a moment! Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I did laugh particularly hard when it was like 16 points of bludgeoning damage. It's like, oh, well, great. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Enkidu's like dragging himself like, like Gaius. Ah! <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also, hench chats. They were hench chats. They were hench chats. With the grandmother. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Back in the hinge. I really uh, enjoyed how 
weird Juna gets around like Grove Mothers and Henge Witches, like she's just immediately fangirling. Just huge wide eyes. Tell me everything. I'm so excited. You're great. She's so awkward. I know. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's adorable. I think that because we don't get to see that side of uh, Juna where she seems like she's always kind of enthusiastic, but she's never quite so like uh, childlike. <laughs> I feel like is when it's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, this is so cool. Like, you know, we don't get to see that side. It's really adorable. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess she's usually in that role when she's around Gwen, which is like the more nurturing, wise figure who's, you know, like, yeah, I'm just kind of finding my path and figuring things out. And, you know, that's sort of a very like wise, quite like mindful sort of take every day as it comes kind of attitude. And then she she meets people who have other knowledge or who might be like more powerful than her. And she just turns into like this. Yeah. this like teenage groupie, like, Oh my God, you're so amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm also curious. Cause one of the things about this encounter is it felt unlike most of their encounters, like the large majority of the encounters in this campaign, it felt the most like a random encounter. I don't think it was a random encounter, but the way it happened was just, they were traveling and got attacked, <laughs> uh, which is, typically not it's usually like they are in a city and they happen to witness something and then they interact with people and you know it's there's pulled into a larger this was just like y'all got hit by a swarm of bugs (laughs) and now you got to figure out what to do with yourselves (laughs) Mm -hmm. can't go to the pub (laughs) yeah that's not the solution (laughs) (laughs) i'm yeah i'm i will also throw out it is possible that instead of the rot grubs that uh, David was using the Carrion Stalker because the Carrion Stalker is another, it's a tiny monstrosity uh, that can, it doesn't hit real hard, but it does have, um, it can like, it has an ability called Larval Burst, which is similar to the Rot Grub thing. That sounds bad. Uh, you have, yeah, it's not good. Uh, you have to make a, C, a DC. It's, uh, it, it's, it basically releases a bunch of larvae in a 10 foot radius sphere centered Ooh. on itself. Every creature has to make a DC 13 con save or be poisoned. And then a creature poisoned in this way takes two D six poison damage at the start of each of its turns. Uh, and it's any, any effect that cures disease or removes the poison condition instantly kills the larvae in the creature ending the effect. So it's different. It's not fire yeah. with this one. But it's the same situation where, like, if you're reduced to zero hit points by the infestation or you start your turn with zero hit points, you die, the larvae remain in the corpse, and then they survive to become – or one of them survives to become another Oh, poor face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just imagine the face that you're making on hearing the words larval burst. And that's that's just my face for the last few minutes, yeah. (laughs) It's not a good phrase. It's It's not horrible. It's unpleasant unpleasant um the other thing actually i was thinking of just now is um sturges i remember being a part of a campaign and being attacked by sturges in that campaign and they are so irritating and they do that thing where they get attached and they they they're more like blood drain parasitic quite like vampiric Mm -hmm. but like mosquitoes yeah like but big bat-sized mosquitoes that drink blood (laughs) and they look like almost like tiny little pterodactyl bats with proboscises that just drain blood and they get attached and because they're so tiny they have like a really high ac because they're so dexterous and it's like really really hard to hit them but when you do they don't have very many hit points so you can get rid of them if you manage to land a hit but when they're on people that's really difficult without consequences so they're also very annoying that 
reminded me of those creatures as well. It feels like David's done that thing where he's taken inspiration from lots of different areas of D&D monsters and smashed them together into one disgusting parasite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And without without uh, connecting, um, without, I guess, giving too many explicit spoilers or anything for later episodes, do we think that this swarm is, t- like, what do we think the the larger implications of a dangerous swarm like this are? Do you think it's just like, do you think it's maybe one of those, like, there's something wrong with the land? Or do you think it's more one of those, like, eh, it's just some bad bugs. Just avoid those bugs. They're bad. They're real bad. But it's quite interesting that, I mean, they were warned about the the moving lights and, and things before they went in, but it is quite interesting that it's in, like, the crown's wood. I don't know whether that's mm-hmm. sort of like an intentional, like, there's rot within the crown. Like, maybe. Mm-hmm. Something rotten in the point. state of Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. Something rotten this way comes. Huh? <laughs> That's not the phrase, but there's a play called Something Rotten, so. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is something where if it were any other DM, I'd be like, that's ah, probably a random encounter on a random encounter table based on that terrain. But it's David. So I don't mm-hmm. trust that. I think David's doing mm-hmm. something. And maybe, again, maybe this is my heightened paranoia. But every time I thought, oh, what a what a random thing with no consequences. Mm-mm, big consequences. Come back down the line. Been part of a bigger story. So I do wonder if it's part of building some story in there about, you know, are these creatures naturally occurring? Have they always been part of the landscape of the crown's wood? Are they just sort of one of those parasitic species that are, it's a dangerous wood? Or have they evolved or been placed there or been... Ta- you know has a creature been tampered with to create them and those released into the crowns would like they're an invasive species or you know what's going on and what is that telling us about what's happening in the wider world mm-hmm. that would make sense it does feel like it's something newer just because of enkidu having to like talk to rangers and get like the special map and the the fact that the woodstock people were so paranoid like if it was part of their lives they'd have better ways of dealing with it than just oh find the grove mother and her moving fox statues like yeah it it feels new mm. Mm. that's a good point yeah cause even if there are experienced rangers in those woods they would know what the particular dangers were and how to survive them quite well or how to at least know to avoid them or have some kind of war- way of warding it off but Mm. Yeah, maybe that's a hint that they're not so naturally occurring or mm. are quite a new species that's appeared in the last however many years. Yeah. Mm. Even even Wib not wanting them to come in. It's understandable that you wouldn't want them like an infestation, but it's interesting that if if these were like a naturally occurring thing that were known to exist, you would think that the town would have some quarantine protocols. Yeah. Or like would have protocols for dealing with them. It that indicates to me that perhaps there isn't. Like, for example, in Europe, uh people hunted boars long enough that they eventually made boar spears because they realized <laughs> one of the one of the one of the threats of hunting a boar is that if you hit it with the spear, it'll impale itself on the spear to get to you, and then you die. Uh, horribly and painfully. So they put a little bar on it to stop the boar from running up the spear. Like, people will make adaptations over time. So, and, and in countries where 
where there are like parasites and those sorts of things, people will make, you know, they'll come up with remedies. They'll come up with ways to try and avoid it. There will be oftentimes religious practices or rites to avoid that. Yeah. Sometimes there's even a natural selection thing. Even um, stuff pretty- as simple as like mosquito nets. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Simple. People will create stuff or like the, 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 I know in some parts of Africa, they have the, like the horse or the zebra hair or yeah, yeah, different yeah, yeah. animal like things that they'll whack to get rid of the bugs. Yeah. 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 People well, like come up with certain, ways to deal with Burning that. certain herbs to like, you know, cause smoke keeps certain types of bugs away and, you know, or, or makes them easier to get rid of or, you know, that kind or of thing. Or just sort of some sort of goggle that you wear or like blindfold that you wear so you don't get like hypnotized by the moving lights and start walking towards them. Cause that seems to be like the biggest peril. Yeah. Some sort of anti-charm, yeah. something or other. Maybe you can hire an elf guide, somebody who has like resistance to charm abilities, yeah. different things like that. Like, like a talisman you'd... or something, you know, like a small enchanted mm-hmm. talisman. You'd think they would, if it were something they were used to, they'd have figured something out like that. Yeah, like they yeah. would They would hire a cleric to stay in Woodstock to make holy water so that they can just sell it like it's on a tap. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So that's what makes me think it's it's a more recent thing. Yeah. But no fantasy jungle juice to yeah nope no fan- no fantasy paladin no fantasy who can deed. just use <laughs> lay on hand to re- re- uh, remove diseases because I'm pretty sure with uh, with lay on hands I think it's like if you use five points of lay on hands healing oh, yeah, you, you can just cure a creature of disease yeah and and paladins are also just like auto automatically immune to exactly to all, they're like I don't get diseases anymore. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And at their high level, they can give advantage on. I think they can either make you immune to charm or give everybody advantage on effect, uh, charm effects, mm-hmm. saves against charm effects. Yeah. So the thing that Grace was really annoyed that she's one level away from was it purifying herself? Does that apply to other people as well? Or can she do that to other people? No, it's only herself. Just uh, it's I think it's called like purity of body or something like that. Yeah. Uh, where it's like she, yeah, I think she's completely immune. Monks become completely immune to like disease at like level ten. <laughs> Amazing, uh, David, getting it this well. in now. Then, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not going to be able to do that in the next level. <laughs> and I think that's also why the damage was so bad. Is because what are they level eight, level nine, level nine? Yeah, yeah. you got to hammer them at that point. Yeah, <laughs> like they're getting tough. That's strong. They're getting yeah. tough. Yeah, I, this is quite a tricky. I think they once you start getting towards like level. 10 through i would say like 13 or 14 at least when i've ever dm'd i find those levels really really hard to dm for in terms of challenge ratings of combat because it's like i can't go all out level 20 like i'm gonna throw a tarask at you and see what you're gonna do but at the Mm. same time i can't everything else is like too easy so it's Mm. like how to make these combats challenging without just adding more enemies um yeah. So this is a really, I think, tricky moment where you can't be like, ah, an owlbear, and everyone's like, oh no, this is really hard. Um, but you also can't be like, an ancient dragon. And they'll be like, uh, okay, we're immediately dead. So it's it's that kind of sweet spot of like, how do you get enemies that are suitably challenging, but also are not a guaranteed TPK? Yeah, and the trick is, uh, I, uh, the trick is, and you can see this if for anybody who's played Baldur's Gate three, you can actually see them do it a lot of times. I want to play Baldur's uh, Gate three so bad. Oh, it's real good. You I should, know. You should try it I want out. it so bad. I I made Dwayne and Gwendolyn in there. Oh. Get out! Oh my god! Can you please take screenshots and put them on the internet, please? Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to put them in the in the in the uh, Discord. Yes, because I did. I think I made. Can't remember which one. I, I think I made both of them. Uh, but I'll I'll see. 
who I have on my uh, on on my fi- save files. But in that, they so a lot of the tricks they use are terrain. Terrain is a huge one. So if you have, for example, a l- uh, terrain of various levels, uh, then pushing people off of stuff becomes a very viable strategy in that game. But like terrain that, for example, forces people into a specific formation so for example say the party is walking through a forest and they get ambushed what if everybody there who's ambushing them is in the trees and they have set traps on the ground level to give the party for example difficult terrain or something to even restrain them potentially like they're trying to limit the party's mobility and they have increased mobility because they're in the trees and are hidden then you immediately have the party at a severe disadvantage and even if the the bad even if they're like a level eight party if the bad guys, you have a number of bad guys who outnumber the party and have, or even if they're like CR two or three, uh, if they're able to ensnare enough of the party and keep hidden, you have a potentially challenging combat. That is um, a very different good things point. like that. I bet. Yeah, I love to... the idea that you could take a relatively easy combat and then just go, and the floor is lava, <laughs> and that would just make everything so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> mhm if you give them a mobi- if you give the enemies a huge mobility advantage over the party that can really change things up because for example uh in this particular party let's see uh at least two party members would be have a rough time with ranged combat That's like true. Enkidu and Juna can still blast um Gaius isn't really blasty blasty uh he's more like support and buff type stuff Gwendolyn She's she's melee. Yeah. She's got to get in close. Yeah. So if you can keep her away, then, you know, or, for example, a silence spell. Yes. If you drop a silence spell or an, a cone of silence, Your spell you causes. basically neutralize. Yeah, you neutralize almost the entire party. Yeah. Yeah, because they're all very magical. Yeah. And if you take away the, the verbal component of spells, you know, they're impossible to cast. So, yeah, I guess ways of restraining different elements of their abilities. Um, yeah. Or the other thing I think that what David's done is give the enemies special abilities that have ongoing effects if you are hit by them, mm-hmm. which is also pretty cool. Yeah, like a bleed effect. Yeah. I know there's uh, there are certain weapons in D&D that if you get hit with them, you can basically wound a creature and they take 1d4 uh, necrotic damage at the beginning of their turns. And if you have, say, five or six people who actually use in who who understand how the mechanics of D&D work like and when i say people i mean the npcs they understand that in D&D you should focus fire what happens if your only close range fighter gets swarmed by six people who all stab her and then she takes it, she takes 6d4 damage up front and then on her turn takes another 6d4 necrotic damage and it just keeps getting you know what yeah. i mean it just keeps stacking yeah uh especially if they have disengage abilities then it starts to be like oh now the party's having to focus their uh, their time trying to like track them down but heal her it gets really messy yeah uh yeah that kind of stuff is really yeah and also legendary resistances and reactions yeah. that's another one yeah, for, yeah 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 absolutely i think it's just like building that complexity into combat it, you know at this level is is i think where it starts to get really exciting yeah because you can start you have to get creative stuff yeah <laughs> so we're going to get even more yeah. bug level inventiveness hopefully <laughs> not as many bugs but this sort of creative creativity yeah well, i mean that's yeah. what david's the good the at campaign is just them fighting bugs. yeah <laughs> oh god no yeah <laughs> i have to say that 
after the 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 body horror of the bug fight and its consequences, the Grove Mother atmosphere was very very welcome. Yes, it was very cozy and calming in comparison. And I really love the whole Luckbringer Wilder Queen vibe. Like the the mm. the tree, the carving is so. Is such a gorgeous image. And then he brought in this music, I think when the Grove Mother was doing the the ritual, which sort of sounded a little bit like folk horror, but in a good way. Like, you know, the really sort of fun, like Wicker Man kind of music. It just sort of had that sort of slight oddness to it. I really loved what he did with the music there. It was gorgeous. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, David's music is always top tier. Yeah. It's incredible, but he's... It it just keeps getting more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. He's really on point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out also for bringing back the Dwayne theme. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. It's those subtle touches that it's like, I don't know if I know many other D&D podcasts that, that do that kind of detailed sound design in that sense. Mm. You know, it's, it's quite a unique feature of No Small Roles to me. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's lovely. Really lovely. <sighs> Yeah. More more uh D D podcasts should have their DM be a composer. Yeah, it's just real easy. Just get find a composer, have him be your DM. <laughs> get John Williams to be the DM for your freaking D <laughs> podcast. John Williams, but also really, really good storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out John Williams world class DM. <laughs> In his in his nineties, uh, <laughs> never better. I almost made a really terrible joke, which was, "Let's get him on the horn and ask him." Oh. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's for all you oh. music nerds who are into John Williams. <laughs> Can we have a, a a rim shot, but that's just timpani and a gong instead of a drum set? <laughs> 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 the most dramatic rim shot. <laughs> uh, uh, is there any more that we want to discuss about episode 78? I was getting um favorite moments of overall vibes like Oh yeah, let's do that. Is, is now the time to discuss like so. if you could choose a favorite moment, what would it be? Oh. It's Dwayne. Yeah, obviously. I liked when Dwayne showed yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite. <laughs> well, it was just like it was I Dwayne. may be slightly biased. <laughs> but that was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. That's totally understandable. Because <laughs> I guess being Dwayne is like fun to, to do oh, as God, well yeah. as fun to listen to. So mm-hmm. multiple layers. Yeah. Because a lot of times because it's a, a surprise for the cast as well. Yeah. Like they'll they'll approach me and be like, "Oh, only one or two of us know that we're approaching you right now." Uh, so it's fun to be like, I sometimes they'll send me recordings of the rest of the cast like responding oh. to when they hear me do something, and it's like, "Oh, that's so cute. yeah, that's yeah. so cute." <laughs> and I'll get like, as a fan of the show, I'll get like small snippets of like, "This is what's happening," but they won't tell me all the context. <laughs> It'll just be like. Oh, you get a message from Juna, just, you know, while you're chilling. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good. How about you, Alice? Got a few, which is amazing given how much I hated some of the these episodes. Um, <laughs> I, it, was, it, it was amazing the moment where we saw Orin, obviously. That was so exciting. Oh, and I think it's really funny that when Petra speaks through Orin, she still sounds like Petra, like... 
it's been really fun imagining him going around talking with her voice for the last week. That's anyway. Um, and I like the bouquet going into butterflies. That was nice. And I really like the, the grove. I think it's lovely. Oh, and the name Whip, obviously, is a huge... <laughs> it's a top tier name. Top tier name. How about you? Would that we could all be Whip. Yeah. Would that we could. <laughs> um, oh, God. It was a really great run of episodes. It was, like, really gripping. Um, I think it's just going to have to be the Guy and Eustace interaction. I think it was just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> It was just so cute and like funny, adorable, awkward, but not awkward. It was just an unexpected, um, although it is always really lovely. I think, like I said earlier, when um, there's a sending to another character and then it's actually the guest player's voice coming in in an unexpected way rather than David doing an impression. So that, yeah. I think, it's just such a lovely little um, flavor thing dropping in and being like, Oh, it is Dwayne. Yeah. It's his actual voice. Like, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I, I but I just Guy and Eustace together. I, I think, I think the ship, <laughs> the ship might have to happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, does anyone have any theories? I guess because we've got two more episodes that we've already heard, it's mm -hmm. maybe not, not too getting too into what happens in those, but does anyone have any like theories about? what might be in store i think that i've already kind of said one which is that i think that those those bugs may be tied to some larger issue going on um and also i will say i predict that at some point the party will unite uh with gwendolyn's mother and they will go on a on possibly some sort of adventure either in orkosh or in relation to orkosh and that Car Car Hilder, I really have to get used to saying Car Hilder. Car Hilder. And that Car Hilder oh. storyline <laughs> is going to come to a head. Yeah. The, uh, I think that that will be resolved in some way. Yeah. I'm so curious about because they're sort of heading towards Enkidu's kind of demonologist situation, and I just have this really uncomfortable sense of the whole Erida thing running in the background and what is going to emerge around the demonology and the the understanding of what's happened to Enkidu both pre where we meet him in the campaign and post Erida like and how that ties in with the larger political picture as well. And is there something linked to what's going on in the Crownswood and the Henges? And like, what does it all mean? What does it mean? Yeah, there's a definite sense of like convergence happening, I think, with like Chargelt being in the... Oh, this is from episode 80, so I shouldn't probably say it. But like, we know that Chargelt's in the palace. We know that Sigrid's in the palace. Mm. Like, and, and Enkidu said he was being sort of drawn in that direction as well. Like, they're going to go to the demonologist first, but he, he's like, there's a definite sense that somewhere in my body I'm being sent that way. So Erida must be sort of heading over there as well. So it just sort of starts to feeling like all the bits are getting tied back in. Where's my red string? Here's <laughs> <laughs> you go back to my board and put all the string on it and figure it out. <laughs> we are all Charlie Kelly yeah. on this show. <laughs> 
<laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's just what the Superfans hub looks like. It's just like a web of red string. You like, can't open the door. It's just all... Yeah. <laughs> Instead of yelling, uh, Carol! We're just like, Erida! Erida! <laughs> yup. <laughs> oh, man. I... I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, me too. It's always so exciting. And like you said, it does feel like things are beginning to really coalesce and like big pieces are falling into place in a way that is the momentum feels like it's gathering in some yeah, way. It does. Mm. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're nearing, I think, I don't know. I, it feels like, honestly, this could go on for, like, an, like another 80 episodes. Easily. Like, with just how things have gone. Because it has been a lot of slow burn. Yeah. So unless they drastically ramp up the pace, I could see this going on for, like, another 80 episodes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, There's so much. But it's, There's just so much. Yeah. There's so much to resolve. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so much the, to I discover inevitably, before we resolve. <laughs> yeah. I think inevitably they're going to have to leave stuff on the table because like you can't go to every part of the world. You know what I mean? It's just going to be, it, they, it, it's, we're, we're probably not going to get to see some of these really cool places that we're like, Oh, you know, cause it's just not going to be time. The Skyrim obsessive in me is really annoyed about that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I want be to go to series. every inch of the map. <laughs> I want to find every <laughs> single henge and every single orc camp and every single city <laughs> and i would have mm -hmm. all mapped out on my little map and have the little diamond next to them saying completed <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the achievement yeah exactly <laughs> you have spent 700 hours in no small roles <laughs> are you okay <laughs> i feel like we are nearing that sort oh, of number <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because we well because we for this we have to listen to every episode like twice potentially yeah, yeah we do should we wrap it up yeah, yeah. let's do it <laughs> let's see I don't know get out of here <laughs> stop listening to this episode the episode's ending go listen to more go listen to episode seventy nine and eighty yeah this is yeah. a pleasure <laughs> we'll Thank see you. we'll see you next time just go go listen to more no small roles <laughs> be gone <laughs> and go sign up to their Patreon yeah yes it's great. Go sign up for the Patreon. Because then you get more content. And it's great. It's all great content. Yes. And you get episodes early. And you get to help support the show. Yes. Yeah. So they can make more of it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Should we do the Anon for now? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do it. go for it. All right. Anon for now. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.